What happens when you put a veteran editor into the cabs of some of the latest equipment coming to market? And could a big new machine roaming the Kansas countryside be the secret to establishing more cover crops? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Indiana farmers know Tom Beckman, but so do many others who read Farm Progress publications. Beckman is editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer and has long covered not only the local ag scene, but has been an integral part of the Farm Progress show team that finds and shares information on new products. Well, that all changed for 2020 when our farm shows went virtual, yet Tom actually got more quality time with equipment than usual. We talked new machines and discussed a couple of other interesting equipment topics, including parking cars and equipment values. Meanwhile, over in Kansas, a project involving several machines is providing a new way for growers to establish cover crops. The big machines include drop tubes that allow farmers to hit a field before harvest to plant that cover crop seed, providing added time for establishment before combines roll. P.J. Griegspor, editor of Kansas Farmer, shares more information about the project and what she'll be following into 2021. First up, let's talk equipment with Tom Beckman. So, Tom, good to catch up with you. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing you recently because you and I, even though we were involved in the virtual Farm Progress virtual experience, we got to be live in Boone, Iowa, and it was great to see you. But that was a different experience for you on a number of levels, right? Uh certainly was, Willie. I usually don't get to uh, ride on equipment or go walk, even walk around equipment, go to uh, that many live demonstrations uh, during the show were usually uh, walking around booths finding products. But so, yeah, it was definitely different. <laughs> yeah, different. Every time I looked for you, all I had to do was look in the cab of another piece of equipment, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was great because you're right. Um, you probably got more new combine cab time in those two days than you've seen in probably 10 years. Oh, without a doubt, new combine time. I do. I get quite a bit with farmers, but most of them aren't driving brand new machines. Probably the most interesting one, Willie, I was riding in the ideal combine. We were sitting at the end waiting to go for the next pass, and all of a sudden a drone appears in front of me, and uh, he just sat there. He was filming the show, but the drone just sat there until the operator waved. Well, finally I waved, and he took off. Well, by afternoon, Holly Spangler had a picture of me waving. That's what the that's what he was waiting for was me to wave and had it up on social media. So uh, I don't know what do you say. It's a new world. It is a new world, and that's when you're in trouble, Tom. When Chad Colby and Holly Spangler team up on you for social media, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, you're in that ideal combine, and this was uh, the ideal combine with a more traditional cab setup. It had a steering wheel. Yes, this was um, the ideal nine. It wasn't. Uh, they didn't have the uh, ten or uh, there, but it's still a, my first experience in the ideal combine, and. A tremendous machine. All of them I was in have, were, were excellent machines, but uh, it just the corn was uh, was down and twisted quite a bit from the storm, the Direco, more than I expected. And with the new heads, every machine I was in, and I'm not just saying this, but every machine I was in was doing a pretty darn good job of getting it and leaving very little behind. And from somebody who 30 years ago, helped a farmer with an old Massey uh, 300 with the steep bank steel corn heads and had to get out and unplug it. 
that was pretty neat to just sit there and not have to get out. It just fed right in. Yeah, those low-profile corn heads. I mean, I was on the I was in the Kloss Combine at the same event, and and then I was watching some of the others. They've just changed that approach angle on those those snouts, and then they can then with the new head height controls, they can drive. They bunch are running the ground. I mean, they are so low when they're under that corn. So it was amazing to be in the cab and then watch that down corn be picked up pretty efficiently. Yes. Well, even starting, I mean. 20 years ago, when they went to lower profile heads, it helped a lot. I'd seen running really down corn before, but I think you hit on the new thing, Willie. Besides just the profile, they now have uh, more automatic and even if they need it, manual controls to make adjustments and they can slow down all kind of adjustments to help in down corn. And none of these had corn reels or anything like that. And uh, this wasn't totally flat, but it still was, it was certainly not an ideal situation and they were doing a good job. Yeah, it was good. And the other thing we probably should notice, these weren't eight row heads or 12 row heads. Many of them were 16 row heads. Right. And, uh, there's something about, I, I don't know, I, my neck hurt after riding in one combine because I was trying to watch each end. And right. so I can imagine the farmer fatigue of watching uh, these machines all day. 10, 12 hour days to harvest and you're going to want to move fast when corn's ready. And so it's interesting because like you say, the auto controls on these combines, I don't have to think about the settings going into the bin. I can set this thing and forget it and just drive it. Yes. And depends on the, depends on the machine and which option you get. But like with, for example, the case that I did a walk around with, I didn't actually get to ride in that one because they had shut down for the day. I got I saw it run later or the next day, but uh, I was in the cab. And we walked all around it and uh, have posted that uh, online. But but anyway, that one did have the automatic control system. Uh, it's an option, but with it, I mean, you set your parameters on grain quality and some other things, and it just it makes the adjustments on its own. And uh, I actually was in uh, after the show. A little bit of free time went on to Britt, Iowa, as a tremendous uh, ag museum there at the Hancock County Fairgrounds, and I spent some time going through it. Found an old International 64 combine that, <laughs> unfortunately, I grew up with my my dad had, and we used it some. And I'm really, when I get time, I'm going to do a walk around of it just to make the comparison. I mean, all the things that you had to set manually or couldn't set. Uh, versus what we can do today and that was only 50 years ago it's amazing we kind of take it for granted a little bit i mean not exactly because there's a price for this technology exactly but but the other side of it is even a 10 year old combine versus that 64 uh, is it just a radically different experience on productivity comfort and the way these machines operate Um, it's just to me i think the combine is just an amazing work of art and engineering when it goes through a field, whether it's corn or soybeans, canola, or pick your pick your crop, just to watch that work um, go into just all that foliage and come out with a clean seed. It's, it's kind of amazing when you think about the technology there. Absolutely. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Anything that surprised you in all the cab time you got when you were at the Farm Progress Virtual Experience? Uh, other than the drone showing up in my face. Uh, <laughs> Well, I guess, you know, I guess the, the degree of automation and precision that that is possible and 
I know you've talked and done demonstrations, but companies like Raven are working all the time to take that even farther with, uh, especially with some outside of combines, but like with high clearance sprayers, we can now use cameras for guidance. And But even in the combine cabs, in the, the Kloss combine, uh, I think it's, you know exactly, I think it's the CMOS automation right. system, but yep. it does about the same thing, but just, you know, and you get to see it on the screen. I guess that's what maybe stands out is, you know, I thought it was a big deal. I wrote about yield monitors in 1992 or whatever it was <laughs> coming out. And now we're so far beyond yield monitors. We're, I mean, Field View Climate Corporation using them to do some analytics and you can do it right in the cab if, you, if you've got the broadband infrastructure, which is a different issue. But anyway, it's just so amazing what you could actually do sitting in that combine cab besides combine corn or soybeans. I guess yeah. that really surprised me. Well, let's talk about the other thing that's really nice about these new cabs. They're quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually carry on a conversation in a normal tone of voice in a new combine and, oh. a, new tra- and a new tractor too, because I was in the case 540 Steiger and even with yeah. masks on, even with masks on, we had no trouble hearing each other and understanding each other. And I thought that was, it's crazy comfortable. So yeah, I so like I was that. in Steiger too, and also a uh, one of the fence. Yeah, and the same thing. Yeah, they're very quiet. The Steiger, we were actually uh, pulling a tillage tool, and uh, still it was, you know, you knew it was there by what the tractor. The other thing that surprised me on the tractors for the walk around was these new tractors that they can work at 1300 1500 rpm and pull a load like that heck when i drove the old alice 190 uh which is the reason i can't hear so well today back <laughs> in the 70s or yeah the 70s i mean you wanted that sucker up to 2500 whatever as far as it would go to pull even a much smaller load so i think that's some real innovation and it comes back in fuel savings what you have to remember, though, the price tag for one of those new tractors we were in and that Alice Chamber 190 are also worlds apart. Well, yes and no, because if you look at the time value of money, that 190 wasn't cheap either. Um, back what you know, what a dollar bought when that thing was new versus That's- what a dollar buys today. It's not the exact same. I understand that. But there's a whole lot more in that tractor than there ever was in the 190. But you're right. The I am fascinated by that because when uh, uh, Agco and Fent introduced the 1000 series tractor, the first uh, brought over here with that man engine, MAN engine, really 1500 RPM at full torque. It's, right. it's just crazy. Well, there's also issues about durability. If you're not running at high high, high RPMs, that engine's going to last a lot longer too. So right. um, it was pretty interesting. But you're right. Uh, it, you know, you're talking a $400,000 tractor. That's a lot of money. Um, but I also give a speech, which anybody listening to this podcast may disagree with me. But companies don't build things people don't buy. It's all about that balance on cost per acre. And it's it. And you know what? It's math you and I didn't have to do 40 years ago. And we have to sit. We every farmer has to sit down and do today. What's that really going to cost? And how's it going to make me money? So those are the challenges. Willie, let me add this to that, because you did you do make a good point there that uh, in perspective, you know, buying that 190 at the time, some things don't change. And and my mom was always cost probably because she was in the depression. She never wanted to spend a dime. 
and dad was the one that wanted to spend <laughs> just the honest truth and god rest her soul but because i loved them both dearly but uh the weekend i came home from college and the d17 was gone and we had the 190 i literally had to cook my own food that weekend she was so upset but uh without it we wouldn't have been nearly as productive for the rest of the time dad farmed there in the 70s and uh but i guess the point is at that point to them buying that 190 maybe wasn't a whole lot difference than investing in a new combine or a 10-year old combine that's new to you that's still a lot of money today so you make a good point yeah and i think it's it's not an easy it's not an easy discussion it's a challenge for everybody trying to farm today to look at these numbers i think that the good news is if you're starting out or if you're just looking to invest in your business you want to add some acres the used equipment market is quite vibrant. There's a lot of good late model used equipment out there too. The farmer iron that's running in November makes a comment that it's not about the color, it's about the dealer. Right. And all of my all of my company listening to this are probably gonna go, wait a minute, it's about the brand. And it's like, the brands are great, but that's the good news. Everybody's delivering amazing quality products. You were in a lot of cabs. Right. You could have picked any one of those to run your farm, right? Exactly. Somebody asked me which one's the best. I said, everyone I was in had excellent features and they all did a good job. And that's just the honest truth. It is. It's a change. I mean, uh, 30 years ago, when I first started covering farm equipment, 35 years ago, uh, there were differences out there. Right. Yes, the brand matters to a lot of people and you know a certain thing about the quality and the resale value. You got to take that into account. But the, the backside of that is who's going to who's going to support you? I do want to share with the listeners that Tom's history with the Farm Progress Show is uh, varied, at the very least. Um, <laughs> you, you started your days as you're the you've been the editor and been on the team at the Indiana Prairie Farmer for a quite quite some time. But uh, your early work at the Farm Progress Show involved parking cars, and it's a story I like to tell because it shows how involved. And and this year, as we got into the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, and many editors were involved in the creation of that product as well as the events team. I felt like I was parking cars. I just there was so much video to be produced and so much content. So anybody listening to this should go to fpvexp.com or the link that'll be in this with the story for this to check out. All the videos, the deep content from the exhibitors, I think you'll find there's some fascinating stuff in the ride and drives because I do do some things with uh, Case IH, Kloss, and a few others that provided equipment for us to do a deep dive on. And then there'll also be links to your work, Tom. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great. You went to the new products team and then you finally got to actually sit in some cabs. I don't know right. if I'm going to get you out of cabs at the next show. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I may be lobbying for more time to do that, but Hey, those parking days, I just went through this, this thinking about it because Lon Tonneson, our fellow editor in Dakota, retired here this week, I guess. And yep. so we did some stuff to honor him online and anyway, was recalling memories and he, cause he helped do that too early on. But my first day, my first Farm Progress show with the company in 1981 in Brimfield, Iowa, was standing in the middle of freaking road in the rain watching the president of the company pull out a truck with a massive ferguson four-wheel drive we, we've come a long way willie <laughs> we have and just remember whose idea it was to get you out of parking cars just yes, gonna go with that <laughs> thank you, willie. i i really enjoy i learned a lot from because we got to manage we got to meet people i never would have right. meet right but i'm so glad that we made the progression into uh, doing stuff now and i get to learn about the company's products and 
kind of more of what the modern equipment side looks like. So thank you. Well, based on the cab time you had this time, maybe we need to work out a deal with Matt Youngman, the events manager, for you to come out to the show a day or two early and while they're doing setups. And maybe you can get a little cab time then. We you can, never know. We can do that. That would be awesome. Tom, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your hard work. Uh, take care and stay safe. Thank you, Willie, and goodbye. As you can tell, Tom and I do like to talk about equipment, and I love hearing about his use of older machines back in the day. Thanks for the insight, Tom. Next up, we look at a new project designed to boost cover crop use in Kansas. PJ Griegspore is following that issue. Let's check in with her. Well, PJ, good to catch up with you in Kansas, and um, there's an interesting piece of equipment running around your part of the world, and I think we should talk about that a little bit. It, it's an interseeder. Tell me more. It's a Montag cedar unit uh, mounted on a uh, Hagee sprayer platform. The state of Kansas, or an entity connected to KDHE, has bought eight of these things. Most of them are going to be used up in northeast Kansas, where the reservoir sedimentation is a big problem. But we got one down here uh, because of the Cheney Reservoir project and the number of farmers who are interested in going regenerative as part of the big General Mills Regenerative Ag Project. So this thing is giant, and we'll be seeing it up and down the roads probably quite a bit, uh, especially in the northeast part of the state where they're going to have six of them running. I wanted people to know that uh, they're going to be seeing these and, and to kind of tell what they are. They intercede cover crops into standing row crops before fall harvest. The one that I watched was planting uh, grazing rye into standing corn. And the farmer is a Rice County guy named Todd Odin. And he said he's been into, cover, or into uh, no-till for quite some time. This is his first venture into cover crops. He wanted to do grazing particularly because it's a way to make revenue out of planting cover crops. One of the reluctance of people, even though they know it's good for the soil and good for the earth and whatever, planting cover crops, if you don't have anything to do with that crop except destroy it to plant your next cash crop, costs money. And this is a way to actually make money with the cover crop by using it for cattle feed. And he plans to lease some acres that he sowed to fall rye to neighbors for grazing cattle. So he's going to have some rental income as well as some cattle feed for his own cattle. Interestingly, uh, we had a story in the podcast. We talked to Fran O'Leary a couple of weeks ago, and she was in the National Cover Crop Survey. And while you right, you're right, many people perceive cover crops as a cost unless you can graze them off. In that study, uh, many growers figured they'd cut their fertilizer bill and reduce their, their weed control cost to more than cover the cost of putting in a cover crop. But this is all an evolution of using cover crops. And to get them started this way works all the way around. So this unit, it's a, it's a Montag cedar. It's mounted on top of a Hagee sprayer. Is it going down through drop tubes or what? Yeah, how's yes. it coming out of the machine? It's air fed, air, air seeded out of the machine through drop tubes that go down into the canopy of the corn crop. So the drop tubes are probably, oh, three feet into the corn, which mo most of the growers say works much better in standing corn than trying to fly on cover crop seed, which is kind of your other option. The canopy being still there on the corn crop when you're trying to interseed, uh, the, the aerial seeding tends to cause, um, your seed doesn't make it all the way to the ground. It, it gets caught up in leaves of the, of the plants and gets kind of hung up. So 
people have said they didn't get as good a stand as they wish they would. This drops the seed right down into the canopy of the corn plant, gets it much closer to the ground. Is it and just it, seed or is there any fertilizer going in with it or what, is it just straight seed? It's, it's just straight seed. The one that I watched was just straight seed. There is an ability to put something, you know, put fertilizer down at the same time, but that requires adding some equipment. So. By the way, we'll have a link to your digital version of the story that includes a video uh, with this podcast if people want to check that out. But what was the, the reaction? How's this stuff come up? Have you talked to the guy since you've been out there? Yes, and it's coming up good. He said that he's got enough of uh, dry, dry down on the corn that's starting to get more sun. It's warming up the soil a little bit, and, and he's really getting – but the rye is coming up strong. And he planted just rye. Uh, part of the reason, I think, was because he's kind of doing it cheap, and it's cheap to plant rye. And uh, the other farmers that I've talked to, especially in the northeast, where they're really heavily into this, are doing are doing a mixture of – cover crop, which is kind of what the regenerative ag people are all excited about. They would rather see people doing at least two different species in there. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that these folks in your area who are doing it a little more economically uh, may approach this differently as they see it work in the future. And even some of those two or three type cover crops are grazable. So those are things that need to be worked out. Uh, there's a lot of love for uh, radishes. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> just go with that. But you know, you do need that mix sometimes of a grass crop and a, a broadleaf crop and a cover crop to get the get the more benefits into the soil and have a lot of good uh, green, as it were, uh, when you go to either terminate it until or till it back in. Well, the uh, co-op manager, Central Prairie Co-op, is actually uh, the the leaser of this machine that's operating in my particular area. And they are working with the uh, Cheney Reservoir Group and with the Equispeds Group. And the, the primary thing here that they got involved with originally had to do with clean water quality and quantity. Uh, they wanted to clean up the water at the source before it goes into the, into the reservoir and stop sedimentation of the reservoirs and, and the nutrient-fed algae blooms in the, in the reservoirs. So the farmers that are involved with this are saying, well, this is part, part of our carbon sequestration regenerative ag project with General Mills. The Central Prairie Co-op manager, a guy named Brent Worth, said that uh, most of the people that he's seeding for are using a blend of cover crop seed. And yes, radishes are really popular. Yes. And then he's... He started laughing about how much fun it is to watch a cow eat a radish. I mean, we've talked about this. You and I talked about the General Mills Regenerative Program a few a few episodes back. People can look that up. But this is all part of that process of getting the soil back in good shape and also keeping, basically, uh, in this case, keeping the soil where it belongs, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Keeping it out of the road ditches and the, and the streams and, and out of the reservoirs is the big goal here. Well, yeah, but I just put a lot of money in nitrogen. I sure as heck want to keep it on my farm. Absolutely. So, <laughs> at least, you know, farming, you know, we talk about farming green and green manure crops, and we, it's had so many names over the last 40 years that I've been around doing this. I'm just excited for the standpoint of the guys and gals that want to do this are making it work. And those that don't want to, that's their choice. But I think that more people are seeing this uh, and saying, hey, that maybe does work. And obviously, uh, in the one case you were talking about, you bring livestock into the equation and it does change the numbers. It provides more nitrogen on the ground because, you know, everybody poops. 
and uh, it's a good feed source. And, uh, and we've discussed this before, and I think that's really valuable. Oh, it's it's the the people that have made it work um, are sold on it. Uh, I've talked to several people that have have just gone. One one grower in uh, Southwest Kansas just gave up on growing uh, regular crops. He just grazes cover crops. Hmm. He has some natural natural prairie grass that he runs cow cow calf pairs on, but he uh, runs his steers on on a mixture of cover crops. And he just said, that's all I plant. I plant warm season in the spring, cool season in the fall, run cattle on them year round. Well, that's not bad. See, his costs are lower and he's getting more and getting a different kind of income stream. You know, you made a comment earlier about the guys that are making this work are sold or something like that. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like all those no-till guys in Kentucky in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Because that's really kind of where I feel we are. It's like back then, and you know, we were both around then. You you think to yourself, the people in Kentucky were doing amazing things with no-till, but everybody else was saying, well, that's really hard. But then you hear this, but the guys that are making it work are really getting some benefit. And now today, no-till is more common, and it's not about making it work. It's about we already know how this works, and this is what we have to do. Is that part of the cover crop challenge? I mean, this cedar is a prime example. The hardest part about getting a cover crop in is getting it in. Yes. And getting it up so that you have any growth to it before it freezes. And so. even if you're planting a winter grass like this winter rye, uh, it'll stay it'll stay green looking kind of, and cattle will eat it. But if it doesn't have some growth on it when you turn them out there in the fall, you just don't have enough tonnage on the in the field. You just don't have enough forage to to make it last. You've got to get something up that's fairly tall so that you can get some growth on it and have mm-hmm. the amount of of tonnage of forage that you want in order to successfully feed cattle on it. So this gets the seed in the ground early enough that you get that crop up and growing before uh, you take the corn off. But using the interseeder gets your cover crop 45 to 60 days head start on the growing season. So what what are you following going with this? You follow this being planted. You're kind of talking to the guys as it grows. What else do you think you're going to do with this? Well, I, I'm probably going to go back over to see Todd uh, when he turns cattle out. I'd kind of like to get pictures of cattle on it after he finishes the corn harvest. So he's staying in touch. And, the, of course, the Cheney Watershed Group is stay, staying in touch, so I'm always in touch with them. <laughs> and Central Prairie Co-op is on my speed dial now. So we sh- I should be able to keep up with – I'd like to get some numbers of how many people have actually gone to this because it gives kind of a picture of how successful Prairie Co-op will be with their lease program. And they have an option in three years to buy this machine and keep it permanently in this area if if there's enough demand for it to, to make it worth their while. So I'm anxious to kind of watch how what the adoption is and see how many people get on board with it. Yeah, I don't know about the first year. First year adoption is always such a low number. But I think it'll be interesting, like you say, to see how it goes. And following this will be kind of a fun thing to follow him putting cattle out and then how he deals with it next spring. A little termination story following one farmers through something like this, I think really paints a nice picture for these kinds of stories. And I'm glad it's one of our secret superpowers at Farm Progress. We get to do this because we keep going out and looking at stuff. So that's important. And it's fun to have places to go that's um, in the age of COVID that <laughs> you actually feel safe getting out of your house and going somewhere. You know, the uh, Being out in the middle of a farm field feels fairly safe to me. Well, I think they're probably also going to promote this thing at uh, No-Till on the Plains. Oh, yeah. 
which is apparently they're going to try to make a live event this year. When is uh, that? When is that? January 26th. They're cutting it from three days back to one day, and they're not having it in the hotel meeting room environment, convention center environment. They're doing it at the Botanical Gardens. Hmm. And I talked to Steve Swaffer yesterday, and he said, as for right now, that's what they're going to try. They're, they're recording speakers and being prepared to go virtual just in case we have an explosion and they have to. But for right now, they're planning a live event. Well, that's exciting, and I think a lot of people will want to go. It'll be curious to see what the response is. That's an excellent conference. So, so uh, they have plans now to talk about this interseeder and the uh, effort to get more people into cover crops. And, of course, No-Till on the Plains 20 years ago was all about promoting no-till, and now it's all about promoting regenerative ag and maximum soil health and cover crops. And no-till. And no-till. <laughs> You don't leave no-till out of no-till on the plains. That's not how that works. Nope. You know, that's an excellent conference and one I'm glad that you could take part in. Well, PJ, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, keep up the good work. Keep following this. I think it'll be interesting to watch this at kansasfarmer.com. And uh, stay safe. I will. Thanks to Tom Beckman for his insight on farm equipment and to PJ Greekspore for the look at cover crop work being done in Kansas. These are interesting times. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And of course, the new Farm Progress virtual experience, which you can still visit to see more. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event where all the field demonstrations, ride and drives, exhibitor links, and breakout sessions remain available. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.